Uh, Father God, I thank you for this time. I pray that you would bless this time anointed. Lord, I ask you to speak through me. Give us good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives. Lord, I pray that you would anoint our eyes to see tonight. Give us eyes of the Spirit. Anoint our ears to hear. And give us ears of the Spirit. You said, when you were here among us, you said, Lord, that he that has ears to hear, let him hear. I pray tonight that you give us ears to hear. And that the word of God will go out of my mouth as living seeds of truth that's sown into good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives watered by the Holy Spirit and will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. Lord, I pray that you give us retention tonight, that we would remember what we've heard. I pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to get locked in and focused, to give you our best and full attention. And Lord, I thank you for everything being accomplished through this time in the Word that your will to be done. This is significant tonight. We bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to title this message, Israel and the Road to Armageddon. Psalms, in the book of Psalms it says, He that keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Let me read you something. I, I like this. On May 13, 1948, General George Marshall wired David Ben-Gurion. And that David Ben-Gurion was the first prime minister of Israel. But um, General Marshall wired him and said that if he declared an independent nation of Israel, that five Arab armies would march and within 48 hours, not one Jew in the land would be left alive. And the rest is history. Israel, against all odds, in 1948 became a nation. One of the reasons I know that we're living in the last days is because Israel is a nation. you got to understand, for 1900 years, they weren't. Who's ever heard of or even thought of that a nation could be dispersed among 81 countries... 71 different languages and could be supernaturally regathered back into a location. Literally speaking, the original Hebrew, and not only that, but also they took Jerusalem, and for the first time since 606, since Nebuchadnezzar came in, for the first time, Jerusalem was under Israel control as an independent nation. Can you believe that? Since 606 when Nebuchadnezzar took that area. Israel is God's covenant land and a nation and his nation and God will defend it. And what a lot of people don't understand, give me your best ear tonight. What a lot of people don't understand is that God made a covenant with Abraham before he made a covenant with Moses. And God's covenant with Abraham was an everlasting covenant. I want you to hear me tonight, please. Get locked in. This is one of the more significant sermons that I've preached in a long time, and I want everybody to hear what is being said. And so I'm, I'm asking the Lord to help you get this tonight, to anoint your eyes and lock you in to what is being spoken, and we just bind away any distractions in Jesus' name. All right, so in Genesis 17, listen, it says, It is the covenant lamb. God made a covenant with Abraham, and God covenanted with him, the land would be from the Mediterranean in the west all the way to the Euphrates. 
and from around Egypt all the way up to Syria and Lebanon. And that land God swore to Abraham. He swore by himself to Abraham. Listen to this in Genesis 17, 7 through 8. It says, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and and your seed after you in the generation for an everlasting covenant, in their generation for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee and and to thy seed after thee. I will give it unto you. And thy seed after thee, and the land thereon, or whereon thou art a stranger, and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. For this is an everlasting possession. The second covenant that God made with the nation of Israel was with Moses. And that covenant, the people of Israel was not faithful to that covenant. And a lot of people think that God is through with Israel because they were not faithful to their covenant with God through Moses. But God was still faithful to his covenant with Abraham because the covenant that God made with Abraham was not contingent upon the Jewish people keeping the law like it was with Moses. It was a different covenant. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so God made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with Abraham's seed. He made a covenant with Abraham in regards to the land of Canaan. And he made a covenant with Abraham in regard to, he said, the sand on the seashore, your descendants will be like, and the stars of the sky. The sand on the seashore is natural Israel. The stars in the sky is spiritual Israel, which is the Christian today. And so even though Israel was unfaithful with the covenant with Moses, they were, God still has a covenant with the Jewish people today. Now let, help you, let me help you understand this. It is not something that is going to get anybody into heaven except through the blood of Jesus Christ alone. So just because somebody is a Jew, they're not going to be in heaven unless they're saved. Okay, Unless they're born again by the Spirit, washed in the blood of the Lamb, they're not going to be in heaven. And I'm hearing sometimes when things are brought into the body of Christ and God begins to do something, Satan tries to move in the way of bringing extremes and some of the comments I've heard here and there are kind of weird but the only people you know back in the New Testament in the early church they were facing some of these same deceptions where the Apostle Paul had to deal with people especially with the Galatians that were trying to pull them back under the law of Moses saying that you had to be circumcised to be saved and trying to pull them back under bondage and so those are ancient deceptions and the bible says in the last days there would be doctrines of demons and i do believe that there are some people that are being pulled into some of that deception so it's not through the law of moses that you're going to be saved it's not through circumcision it's only by the shed blood of jesus christ that's it and i'm gonna tell you something else god doesn't have favorites i'm gonna deal with israel And I'm going to deal with with how to bless Israel and why Israel is so significant and we need to love Israel. But I also want you to understand my heart that God does not have favorites. And when God sees a a Jewish Messianic congregation where, where they worship Jesus, they love Jesus, they're born again, God loves them. But he'll look over at a Gentile congregation that is washed in the blood of the Lamb, born again, and he does not show any favoritism either way. He loves them both. And I'm going to say this too, 
Throughout church history over the last 2,000 years, there has not been, to my knowledge, and I've studied this out, there has not been any type of significant revival, and I'm talking about a move of God, a significant revival that has come out of the Jewish community since Pentecost, since the day of Pentecost. And I've asked myself why that is. And one of the things I want to warn the people that hear this that are Jewish is you better be careful about taking pride in your ethnicity and in the flesh. Because it is pride that will actually disqualify people from a lot of the things that God wants to do through their life. And I think sometimes people take pride in in the fact that they're born in a certain race, like the Jewish people now, that the body of Christ is really embraced. Just be careful that you're not getting into pride about your ancestry, because that pride can hinder you big time. And I also believe that when you look out uh, down through church history, you see that there's never been a major, significant, awesome move of God that has ever come through seminary. And I'll tell you why. Because a lot of times when you deal with Bible schools and seminaries, you deal with a lot of arrogance and pride in people. They think they already know everything. They're very prideful. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up. And so they get a little bit of knowledge. It's not like they know a lot, but they get a little bit of knowledge. And they get puffed up. They get a little big for their britches, as we say in Texas. And God can't use them. And God is not... I've never seen throughout church history there being a significant move of God except when you see... A small group of people that are humble and desperate. That's where you see revival. Do you remember Azusa Street? A small group of people on Bonnie Bray Street crying out. They were humble. They were broken. And God poured out His Spirit in an awesome way. And I could go down through several different revivals. But don't think for a minute that just because somebody is Jewish that God is showing some kind of favoritism or looking on them in a certain way that he won't look on a Gentile, that it, that is totally deception, it's unbiblical. The Bible says that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile nor male nor female. God sees all of us under the blood of Jesus. Amen. As a matter of fact, the Bible goes on to say that the Gentile that's born of God, that you are a true Hebrew circumcised in the heart. And so when God sees you, he sees you that way. And I want to just make that real clear. Okay, tonight, I don't want anybody thinking that you're some kind of second-class citizen because you're a Gentile. That is, not, that is not Christ at all. That's not his heart. So God made a covenant with Abraham, and that covenant, God swore by himself, and he is faithful to that covenant. And because of that covenant that God made with Abraham, between the two of them, you see now the nation of Israel, you see the land That land is God's land. He has laid claim to that land. Jerusalem is known as his holy city where he's put his name. That is his land. And the Jewish people, because of Abraham, are a people that are called his people. Now without Jesus, they're not going to be in heaven, but there are many of them that are accepting Christ. But nonetheless, they're still known as his people. And they are loved because of the patriarchs. And God is at work through them. And I'm going to show you that through history. It's been amazing. And the way that God sees us is engrafted into that vine. I'm about to explain that. But God foreknew that they would be unfaithful to the covenant of Moses. But God is still faithful 
to his covenant with Abraham, which was not conditional. It was and is an eternal covenant. And the Bible predicts after Israel was scattered that they would be regathered again. Let me give you a few things. I'm going to move through this. Israel is seen in the Bible as the fig tree, the olive tree, the vine, the wild grape. When God speaks of it as an ordinary nation, he speaks of it as a fig tree. That's why Jesus said to look at the fig tree when he's talking about discerning the times. Because when you want to discern the timetable of God, you need to watch the nation of Israel. When God speaks of it as a covenant nation, he calls it the olive tree. And Christians are engrafted into Israel as a wild olive branch. The names that God gives Jerusalem, he calls it the city of David, the city of God, the city of Judah, of joy, peace, praise, and righteousness. The city of the great king, the city of the Lord, truth, faithful city, gate of my people, olive tree, holy city, city of the holy mountain, the throne of the Lord, and the city of Zion. Let me give you a few things here. As Gentiles, we are engrafted into the vine of Israel according to Romans 11 and also Galatians 3. talks about Christ became a curse for us, for it's written, Cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. He redeemed us so that the blessings given to Abraham would come on us as Gentiles. But let me read to you just a portion of Romans 11. Paul was saying, I ask again, did they stumble, talking about the Jewish people, so as to fall beyond recovery? No, not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, meaning that they rejected Christ as a nation. There were Jewish people of that time that accepted Christ. There were Jewish people that did not accept Christ. But as a nation, as a whole, the leaders of that nation, they rejected Christ. He said, not at all they did not stumble or fall beyond recovery. Rather, because of their transgression of rejecting Christ when he came, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression, transgressions mean riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? I am talking to you Gentiles in as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world... What will their acceptance of Christ, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off, and he was talking about the Jewish people, if some of the branches were broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. That's speaking of Israel. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be engrafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For God did not spare the natural branches, and He will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, 
and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? So God wants us to see that Israel was like an olive tree that branches were cut off because they rejected Christ when he came and the Gentiles were engrafted into those branches. And the Bible saying for the Jewish people to not be prideful in the fact that they're a Jew, but it's also saying to the Gentiles that you and I do not need to be prideful over them. That's the whole message I'm trying to give you. Nobody's better than the other. When God sees people, He sees them through the blood of Jesus, and that's it. That's how He sees them, whether they're Jew or Gentile. Now, the Bible clearly prophesies that Israel will be scattered, then regathered in the last days. That's why, as I said earlier, I believe that we are living in the last days because we're living in a time where the nation of Israel has been reborn and they've taken Jerusalem. And the Bible predicted those would be the last days. I'll let you read these on your own, but I didn't have room to put them in here. Isaiah predicts this regathering in 11, 11 through 12, 43, 5 through 6. Jeremiah predicts this in 31, 8 through 10, 16, 14 through 15. Ezekiel predicts this regathering in 36, 19, 24, 28. And then chapter 37, 1 through 10, 37, 11 through 12, 21, 25, and then Zechariah. So we have four different prophetic witnesses. Zechariah 2, 12, 8, 7 through 8, 8, 22, 12, 6. But the most common one that all of you will probably know is the Valley of Dry Bones. When, when um, Ezekiel stood out there and he saw a valley full of bleached dry bones... And God said, can these bones live? And he said, you alone know. He told him to prophesy. And a wind started blowing and God started pulling bone to bone. And when it was said and done, God had created a great army. That was actually referring to Israel being regathered back to the promised land. And it's an amazing story. How is it that a group of people can start trickling back? And there would be five Arab nations, I'll talk about later, that have established militaries that come in to destroy them and they still win. It's absolutely impossible. And let me say this, this is the final rebirth of Israel. Joel 3.20 says that Judah shall dwell forever in Jerusalem from generation to generation. Psalm 105 talks about, as far as God dealing with Israel, uses the words forever, everlasting covenant, and a thousand generations. But Joel 3.20 strongly implies that this is it. Okay, As far as Israel has been regathered, replanted, and it's a final work. They're going to keep that land until Jesus comes to it. And hell may come against them. Satan may raise up people like Iran. Satan may try to stir up the nations like Russia. And there may be threats. There may be threats of nuclear weapons. All these different things. But they got to understand they're not really messing with Israel. They think they are. They think there's this little nation. They're so much bigger. Their military is superior. And they're going to squish them like a bug. But they're not really fighting Israel. They are fighting the Word of God. And God's very nature... And his integrity is staked on the fact that when Jesus comes, he's going to come back to Israel and it's going to be an established place. And God has said it would be and God will defend it because it's his word. It's his promise. Yeah. 
It's his promise to Abraham and it's his promise through the prophets that no matter what Satan tries to do, he's not going to be able to win. Now God's judgment, and I'll deal more with this later on those that mishandle Israel. In these last days, something I need to warn you about. Number one, you'd really better live holy. The Bible says that there's going to be an increase of wickedness. And the Bible also says that without holiness, no man will see the Lord. And so whatever you need to deal with, whatever you need to get out of your life, let me just tell you the word of God. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. So whatever you need to do to get whatever out of your life needs to go, you better make sure that you do because His coming is near. And let me tell you this also. We better be careful that we are in alignment with the Word of God in dealing with Israel. Regardless of what America and other nations are going to do, you have, as an individual need to make sure that you are responding properly to Israel and the Jewish people. The Bible clearly says in Genesis 12 that God will bless those that bless Israel and curse those that curse Israel. The Bible says God will prosper them that love Israel, love Jerusalem. Now I'm going to give you some stuff here in a moment that's going to shock you. But Zechariah, let me give you a few things here. Zechariah 12.3, God's judgment on those that mishandle Israel says, In that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all the people. All that burden themselves shall be cut into pieces, though all the peoples of the earth be gathered together against it. God is saying, I will cut to pieces the nations that mess with Israel. Obadiah 1.15, I want you to remember this one. It says, The Lord judges all godless nations as it has been done to Israel, it will be done to them. I want you to remember that. As it was done to Israel, it will be done back to them. See, when you're dealing with the church, everybody hear me, when you're dealing with the church, you're dealing with grace. But when you're dealing with Israel, you're dealing with an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You're dealing with judgment and it will come swift. I'm talking swift. And some of the stories I'm going to give you happen the same day. So God said in Obadiah, as it's done to Israel, it will be done back. So in other words, what they do will be done to them. Joel 3.2 says, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will put them on trial for what they've done to my inheritance, my people Israel, because they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. There's a strong judgment against dividing the land. What is it that some of the leaders of in our nation have tried to do? They've tried to divide their land. Which leads me to some stories. Let me read to you just a couple stories here, okay? In 1938, look o- looking over American history, and you got to understand that, I-, I may talk a little bit about this here in a little bit, but America during the colonial time, the 13 original colonies... All- during that time, in the Jewish people themselves, in their own writings, said that America was the place to be. It was the only place where they could truly find freedom and that they could be honored and they could prosper. You can understand, all the other nations of the world, at best, would tolerate the Jewish people. 
And so for them to find a haven here in America during the colonial period, then during the Revolutionary War time, around 1765, George Washington wrote letters honoring Israel and honoring the Jewish people. Some of his key people that fought in the Revolutionary War were Jewish. One of them was named Haim Solomon. And I don't want to deal too much with it, but Haim Solomon was an amazing man. He was a brilliant man. He was a Jew from Poland. He spoke six languages fluently. He was, he was brilliant. He was educated about international currency. And he had such a reputation, because probably because he knew so many languages, he could deal with the sea captains when they came in and barter, things like that. But he had, he had accumulated great wealth. And this is a fact, a historical fact. There was a stamp that came out about him recently over the last couple of years that honored him because he's, he was a Revolutionary War hero. And the reason why he was, number one, because he was a spy. And he was caught once, let go, but he was one of George Washington's key spies. He was in espionage. But also, he, he had such a credit line, such a credibility, that when America, here we were a British colony, and here we also were coming up against Britain, we were not established as an independent nation, so we did not have an established banking system and a lot of wealth that was accumulated. We just didn't. And other nations, other people were afraid to fund the Revolutionary War. I want you to hear what I'm saying. This man by the name of Haim Solomon, he had such a credit line with people that he was able, on his credit line, to borrow money to fund the Revolutionary War as an individual. Did you really think about how amazing that is? And so America was extremely gracious to the Jewish people during the colonial period and during the Revolutionary War time. They migrated here from different parts of the world, but this was a haven for them. And God blessed America because of it. But in 1938, some anti-Semitism began to creep in because of the Nazis. And as a matter of fact, looking over American history, the 30s were the worst years for the Jews in America as Nazism began to make its way into our nation in New York. Camp Siegfried was formed in that area. People of prominent influence like Henry Ford were openly anti-Semitic. There was actually some kind of a magazine that was circulating. It went back to the Nazis and their influence bleeding over here. But as America allowed Nazism into our nation and turned our backs on the Jews, the result was the great hurricane of 1938. Let me just read you real quick about it. The hurricane hit Long Island with such force that it registered on seismographs from New York all the way to Alaska. So many waves were hitting the coast that New England was vibrating and ringing like a bell. The coastline was dramatically altered by the collision with the powerful storm surge. The storm killed more than 700 people, which is miraculous. There wasn't a lot more. There were 63,000 people left homeless. The storm destroyed or damaged almost 9,000 buildings and over 26,000 automobiles. Think about that. It wiped out entire marinas together with 3,300 boats and ships, and it destroyed most of New England's fishing fleet. It caused record flooding. It destroyed 750 million, up to 2 billion trees. 
Winds reached 186 miles per hour. The states of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, and all of Maine, all of those felt the damage from this storm. Imagine that. Imagine that. When you look here recently at, at that storm, Sandy, well, it was just New York pretty much. I mean, a little bit around there. But let me read to you again that there was New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine all felt the damage from this storm. The nation's newspapers, now get this, this was all because of America's wrong response to the Jewish people that this happened. But while this happened, that this hurricane was hitting, in our newspapers, the headlines were reading about Hitler and the Nazis, and then right by it or right underneath it, it was talking about this storm. You see what I'm saying? Because it was connected. The United States was allowing anti-Semitism to creep in and it resulted in the storm. Let me give you a few more stories. I could tell a lot of stories. I picked one per president, but I could tell multiple stories. I just didn't want to dwell too long on this. George Bush Sr. began this land for peace. Bill Clinton continued it. And then George W. Bush finalized by giving up the Gaza Strip. And our current President Obama has spoken negatively about Israel needing to return to its pre-1967 borders. But let me read you a few things. George Bush Sr. originally started the Land for Peace plan. The disputed land, I'm going to show you this on a map, the disputed land is the West Bank, Gaza, and the Golan Heights, those three areas. This peace plan was involved in giving East Jerusalem away for peace. Now listen, I read this earlier, but Joel said, I will gather the, the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel, for they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. This is something that God is going to be offended at, is trying to divide up his land. And some of these people, you know, they may have some kind of an education. They, they may have, you know, whatever... They went through as far as Harvard education, Ivy Leagues, or whatever. But you can be very foolish when it comes to spiritual things. And what they need to do is they need to read the Bible. The Gulf War ended in 1991. George Bush Sr. began to, to start a Middle East peace plan involving Israel and the Palestinians. The talks began in Madrid, Spain. I want you to remember Madrid. Began in Madrid, Spain on October 30th, 1991. On October 30th, President Bush opened the talks saying... For peace, Israel must give away land. At the beginning of the talks, now listen to this, at the beginning of the talks on the same day, okay? At that very beginning of the talks, the land of Israel was the key topic. In October 30th, an awesome storm was developing off of Nova Scotia. The storm was never classified as a hurricane because it began so late in the season. It sustained winds up to 73, uh, only down to 73 miles an hour. It was extremely rare. It was traveling over a thousand miles in an eastward to westward direction, which was weird. The weather pattern for the U.S. is usually the opposite. The storm was called extratropical because it did not originate in the tropics as most storms do. So this was rare. It's like, where did this come from? It's out of season. It's out of character. It was hundreds of miles wide. It was a fierce storm. It hit New England, and it was described as a monster. The storm was later called the perfect storm which became a movie and a book was written about it. It was described by meteorologists as one of the most powerful storms to ever occur. 
It was created by extremely rare weather patterns. The ocean waves were over 100 feet high, which was the highest ever recorded in human history that we know of. This storm hammered the entire East Coast. The storm struck President Bush Sr.'s home in Maine. Eyewitnesses say 30-foot waves struck his house. He had to cancel, and this is the key, he had to cancel the talks to go home and deal with the problem. I want you to turn with me real quick in your notes to those maps in the back. I'm going to come back to this, but I want to show you something about these maps. How many knows you just don't mess with Israel? It's eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. It brings judgment and it brings it swift. The first set of maps, I want you to notice something on the left. That is during the reign of King David. That was the land of Israel. I want you to look at it. I want you to look how much land they had. This was what was promised by God. From the left, from the Mediterranean Sea, all the way over to the right, to the river Euphrates, to the north, all the way up in there, up into Lebanon, and all the way south to Egypt, that was all the land of Israel. Now I want you to look to the right, and the gray area is what they have today. They're nowhere near the land that they're supposed to be occupying. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Look at the top right, the Golan Heights, that's disputed land. Where you look around Jerusalem, that is the West Bank, and that's disputed land. And then look at the other part there where it says the Gaza Strip. That is the area that George W. Bush gave away land for peace. It belongs to the nation of Israel. I want you to notice that little strip there. I'm going to tell you something interesting about that Gaza Strip. If you study out, just stay there on that map. If you study out Israeli history in the Bible. I want everybody to hear this. This blew me away when I saw it. The land of the Philistines was this Gaza Strip and up a little bit north of it. That was the land of the Philistines. They, they made their profit by fishing there in the Mediterranean. And their demon god that they worship, if I remember right, his name was Dagon, but he was a fish god with a fish head. Now listen. A lot of people believe that the descendants of the Philistines are the modern-day Palestinians. And they have been fighting tooth and nail for that Gaza Strip. Is anybody else finding this interesting? Because think about it. Fallen angels don't die. The demon gods, the principalities that were once over the Philistines, are still there. And they have been, the Palestinians, which many believe are the descendants of the Philistines, are the ones that are launching these terrorist attacks against Israel. And when you read, read Israeli history, what do you see? You see the Philistines. You see David dealing over and over in war after war with the Philistines. You're seeing something in your time with your eyes that is very ancient. Are you seeing this? Now go to the next map. This is just a little more clear. But you can see the Golan Heights, the West Bank, and then the Gaza Strip. Those are the three areas. I just wanted you to see it real clear. Now go down to the bottom, those next two 
maps where it says Palestinian loss of land. And I'm going to tell you something also while you're going there. Just stay there, but listen to me. The Palestinians are basically, if I was a politician and I said this, you know, people get in an uproar. But I'm a preacher, I can say it. The Palestinians are squatters. They have no legal right to that land. That land has never been owned, legitimately owned. They've never had a capital that is not their true land. They've never even had it through a conquest. They simply just were squatting there. But they act like these victims and that the land is rightfully theirs and that it's not Israel's and they're trying to manipulate things. I want, you to, show, I want to show you something. That, that picture says Palestinian loss of land, 1946 through 2000. Just look at this. When Israel first went home, that little bit of white you see in there, that was where they occupied. Then you see, when the UN, UN came in and started dividing the land, you can see the white there. Now look to the right. This is after the 1967 war. Look at all the land they took there. They took Jerusalem. And now when you look at the year 2000, look how much they've taken. See, Satan always overplays his hand. Every time they've come in and fought Israel, Israel has expanded its borders. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And of course, that last picture is really clear about the disputed land. I want you to keep that in mind as I read to you a few more stories because I think it will make more sense now that I showed you that. President Bill Clinton continued this peace plan. Land for peace. January the 21st, 1998, Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu met with President Clinton. The meeting was discussed again for Israel to give up land. Clinton was pressuring Israel to give up land and Israel was pressuring Netanyahu to not give up land. Shortly after this meeting, President Clinton became engulfed in a sex scandal. Many of you remember that. President George W. Bush, which I love President George W. Bush. He was a, I think he was a great president. But he, he did not do a good job with Israel. President George W. Bush gave land for peace in Israel, allowing the Gaza Strip. You guys saw that. I showed you. He allowed that to be taken from Israel. The result of that was Katrina. How many of you guys remember Katrina? You could see in the Gaza Strip, it was a port city. Katrina hit our nation in a port city. I want you to take notice of this. The Gaza Strip, you saw helicopters coming in and having to rescue people off their rooftops. In Katrina, you saw helicopters coming in having to rescue people off the rooftops. It's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and it comes swift. There's been prophets, I'll talk more about this next week, but there's been credible prophets and more than one that have seen in our nation, in the Midwest, there's a fault line called the Madrid Fault Line. Okay? And they have seen, more than one prophetic person has seen a major earthquake hit that fault line. And it was very devastating to our nation. One prophet I heard talking about this said that he had a vision. He saw that. 
And he heard, when he saw it, he heard the Lord speak to him and say, they divided up my land, now I'm going to divide theirs. Now I just want to say this, I don't know what's going to happen over the next four years. I don't know what Obama will do, but Obama needs to be careful because if he tries to keep doing what previous presidents have done, and if, you know, he, he made a statement, like, well, they need to go back to their pre-67 borders. Okay, if he stops there, but if he tries to go and he tries to pressure Israel to give up land like previous presidents have done, don't be surprised if he tries to divide their land if God doesn't divide our land. It's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and it'll be swift. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that'll happen in his administration. I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do. I'm just saying it wouldn't surprise me. Let me give you a little bit of history about Israel. The times of the Gentiles, many of you guys know the Bible enough to remember King Nebuchadnezzar came in. And he took Jerusalem, he destroyed the temple. But the times of the Gentiles began in 606, when Nebuchadnezzar first conquered Jerusalem. In AD 66, this isn't in your notes, I just want you to hear me. In AD 66, the Jews revolted against Rome. And then in AD 70, Roman general Titus came in and destroyed their temple. They pulled one stone off the other, fulfilling Jesus' prophecy perfectly. So they, I want you to get this. They destroyed Israel's temple, then Jerusalem, then the nation. I'm going to show you something. In 136 AD, a second Jewish revolt against Rome was crushed. Jerusalem was plowed up by the Romans and the soil was salted to poison it. Roman Emperor Hadrian renamed Jerusalem calling it Elia Capitolina. The remaining, the remaining Jews were sold as slaves. Very few Jews remained in the covenant land. The nation of Israel was literally dead till 1948. For almost 1900 years there was no Israel. They ran to the four corners of the earth fulfilling Bible prophecy. The Jews fled to 81 countries. The Babylonians took away the kingdom and the Romans took away the priesthood. They were God's instrument of judgment. <coughs> the prophet Hosea writing in 750 B.C. said that Israel would suffer a long time without a king, king and a priesthood, but it would in later, the latter times, the latter days, they would return to the land at the end of the age. The Jews would return to the land which they followed by, I'm sorry, they would return to the land which would be followed by a return to God and ultimately the Messiah. They have returned in our lifetime. Listen to what Hosea said. For the child of Israel shall abide many days without a king and without a prince and without sacrifice. Afterwards shall children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God, David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter times. Both temples under Nebuchadnezzar and Rome, both temples were destroyed on the exact same day. 655 years apart. Remember when I said the Romans destroyed the temple, then Jerusalem, then Israel? When God brought them back, He gave them the nation of Israel first, then Jerusalem, and He's going to give them the temple. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm going to read to you guys some amazing stuff. Just follow me. The land was desolate, but after their return, the Bible predicted in Ezekiel 36-35 it would be as the Garden of Eden. 
me read over a few things. Seven nations ruled over the land. Seven is a, is a very prophetic number. But no one set up a capital there until Israel became a nation. It was as though God was holding that land for the Jews. Did you know that? Nobody else. Before Israel came in, it was, it was like a wasteland. There was mar, it was a marshland. It was, it was as though God, it was like a curse settled on it. And God was holding it. The Romans were there until 638. Then the Arab Muslims stayed there till 1072. The Seljuks till 1096. The Catholic Crusaders were there till 1291. These are those that occupied. The Mamluks ruled there till 1516. Then the Ottoman Empire, the Turks, more into our time, they were there till 1918. This ended the rule of the Islam over the area. But listen to this. The Turks were there for 400 years. But I want you to see something. The Turks... They had dominion there. Their Ottoman Empire was powerful. But World War I broke their power over that region. And it was like God used World War I to break the power of the Ottoman Empire off of the land, preparing the land for Israel's return. And then he used World War II under Hitler to prepare the heart of the Jewish people. I'm going back to a safe place. Are you hearing me? Let me say it again. World War I prepared the land. World War II prepared the Jewish people. And notice that it was world wars. God was moving on a global scale when he was moving to bring his people back. It wasn't a small thing. After the Turks, they, became, they began to struggle financially because of World War I. And so God began to move on the heart of Rothschild, Hollocks, and some other wealthy Jews that went there and began to buy up all the land that they could in Israel and began to speak to the Jewish people to come back to the land. The British were the seventh empire to be there. They ruled over it from World War I. They ruled over the land until uh, 1948. And we all know about the Balfour Declaration and all of that. And then the Jews came back home and they took the land and became an independent nation in 1948. There were 12 invasions into the land when the Jews left it. The Romans, the Byzantines, the Persians, the Arabs, the Kurds, Mamluks, Mongols, Tartars, Crusaders, Turks, French, and then the British. There were 12. The modern rebirth of Israel. I've always had a funny feeling about Russia. As far back as I can remember being in the ministry. I love the Russian people. There's people who are listening to this or whatever. I love you. But I've always had the heebie-jeebies, if you will, when I think about Russia. I still get them. Uh, and I'm going to tell you, there, there is something in the future the Bible says about Gog and Magog I'll talk about. But Russia, there's a darkness there. The French and the Russians have been extremely anti-Semitic in their history. There was in the 1880s, there were pogroms, however you say them, in Russia. And what those were, were violent mob attacks against the Jews, often condoned by the forces of the law, characterized by killing the Jews and destroying their homes, their properties, their land, and their religious centers. That began them wanting to trickle out of Russia back home. Whew. 
Let me read to you a few more quick things. When I talked to you about Rothschilds and Hollocks and they went back and bought up all that land, in 1897 there were only about 35,000 Jews there. But in the 1940s there was approximately 80,000 Jews in the outbreak of World War I. It took a Jew to end World War I as Dr. Wiseman created a weapon with TNT in it. He went to Lord George, the Prime Minister of England, and presented to him this weapon. He didn't want any money for it. He just wanted to promise that as the land was won by the British, it was won from the Turks, that the British would allow the Jews to have their land back. Lord George of England agreed to this and made that promise to Dr. Wiseman. Lord George commanded General Edmund Allenby, who was a Jew, to move into Jerusalem and take it from the Turks. General Allenby ordered planes to fly overhead and circle the area of Palestine and just circle the city of Jerusalem. So the Turks thought TNT was in those planes and they ran for their lives and they got the land back without firing a shot. This happened in December the 9th, 1917. Isaiah 35 predicted as birds flying. It was talking about planes flying over as the birds flew. And listen, General Allenby's mother prayed that he would be born, that when he was born, that God would make him a deliverer of Israel. So it took a Jewish man to create the TNT bomb to end World War I. But England wronged the Jews. And you got to understand that Britain was a world power at this time. They were the world superpower. They colonized the world. England under Lord George broke their promise to the Jews and they gave guns and ammunition to the Arabs to fight the Jews. God began to curse England right there. In the 20s and 30s, England watched as a referee, but they were behind Behind the scenes, they were in opposition to the Jews, and England went down from that time. The USA emerged as the most powerful nation of the world in the 40s with the Industrial Revolution, but this had a lot to do with us being a defender and protector of Israel. If England would have kept their word to Israel, there may not have been a World War II, but it took another Jew by the name of Albert Einstein, you guys ever heard of him? to create the hydrogen bomb to stop that war. World War II came to an end as we bombed Japan with a bomb created by a Jew. The United Nations was anti-Semitic for the most part and still is to this day. At the end of World War II in 1945, the United Nations were formed. People don't realize how anti-Semitic the UN really was. The first thing on their agenda after the war, after the war was this. What are we going to do with Israel? Russia began to immediately mobilize, but Harry Truman, God bless Harry Truman, he said, America recognized Israel as a nation, and we will defend her borders. And so Russia backed off. America decided that England was going to give Israel their land that they had promised. And England got tired of refereeing the fight in the Middle East and turned it over to the UN. The UN divided the land. I want you to hear this. The Arabs were given the south and the and which was the most fertile, and the Jews were given the north. They only got two inches of rain per year. That sounds like some place like Arizona or something, doesn't it? Yeah. Five day listen to this. Five days after the Jews moved into an area where it rained two inches a year. Five days after the Jews moved in, God began to send rain on the north. It rained consistently for 21 days. Other nations have had famine, 
But every month since that time, it has rained on the land of Israel. Every month. And now they export more citrus than any other nation, including America. Joel 2.23 said that God was in the former and the latter rain in the first month. And Amos 9.13 says that the, they would reap year round and the reaper would overtake the plower. Now the UN had another problem. The Jews got the land, but now they're saying, well, how are we going to get the Jews back to the land of Israel? I mean, we gave them the land, but how are we going to physically get the Jewish people there? England was still opposing the Jewish people and said that they would not allow anybody to use their waterways. The Arabs hated Israel, so you couldn't come in from that angle. And because England blocked their water channels, this caused the Jews to end up floating around on rafts for days. Jews were out there by the hundreds of thousands floating. After that, England would have been defeated in, in war three times had America not gone to their aid. Do you see what I'm saying? They went from a world superpower. They went down when they began to mess with Israel. But once again, once again President Truman got angry when he saw those Jews floating around. And he said to General Eisenhower, you get those Jews in that land. And Eisenhower asked the president, how are we going to do that? The English are blocking the channelways. They're blocking the water. The president said, flying back in empty cargo planes. And Eisenhower said that they couldn't because the Arabs would shoot them down and start World War III. So the president and Eisenhower sat down and figured out how to fly them in toward the west, avoiding Arab territory. It fulfilled one of the, the most remarkable Bible prophecies seen in Isaiah 11, 11 through 14, where it says that God will fly them upon the shoulders of the Philistines. Eisenhower flew 600 thousand Jews to a land they had never been from 81 nations speaking 71 different languages he said it was the greatest miracle he had ever witnessed in his life that not one of them got sick not one of them died and not one of them got hurt as soon as they got in their land a swarm of locusts had come in to destroy their crops the prime minister of Israel at that time called for a 24 hour fast the locusts turned and went into the sea and were destroyed by a miracle from God in 1967, Israel captured all seven mountains of Israel, which is the West Bank. They got Jerusalem back. The Bible said they'll keep it and never give it up. In Zephaniah 3.9, in the end times, they will speak the true Hebrew language, and they do right now. There's also been many reports of supernatural interventions in battle as enemies of Israel have reported seeing people dressed in white that were fighting them. And they're like, who are these people? There's been reported miracles that the terrorists would be launching mortar and it would, it would go toward the land of Israel and it was like it, it hit some invisible force field or something and just blow up in midair. There's been reports of Israel's armies coming, I mean, Israel's enemies coming in with their military forces and then being attacked out of nowhere by a sudden swarm of bees. Other supernatural events. In 1948, five Arab nations came in. It was Egypt, Syria, Iraq, Jordan, and Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia combined their armies to attack Israel, and Israel won. It was a, it was a miracle. In 67, the Six-Day War happened. They won. It was Egypt and Syria that was battling them, and they took Jerusalem. It was a miracle. Just a few more quick things here. 
Because of Eisenhower and Truman, God has blessed America. Amen? But this could change. The Bible says Israel will take root. It took root in 1897. It says Israel will blossom. It blossomed in 1917 as Allenby took Jerusalem away from the Turks. It says Israel will bud. It budded in 1948 when it became a nation. And it says that it will bring forth fruit. When will it bring forth fruit? When Jesus comes in the millennial reign. You remember Daniel's statue? The head of gold, the arms of silver, which was the Medes, and then the Greeks. It was reported that Daniel was so accurate in his prophecies that Alexander the Great, when he was conquering the world, he went into Jerusalem. The high priest came out to meet Alexander the Great, and he read to him Daniel's prophecy regarding him. It so impressed him, he not only didn't destroy Jerusalem, but he went into the temple and worshipped the God of Israel. Isn't that something? Here's what's coming. This is where I wanted to go. There's wars on the horizon for Israel. You guys want to know the future? I'm going to tell you some things the Bible says are to come. The first thing I want to say, though, is that God is going to judge nations. He's not just going to judge individuals. He will judge nations. When Jesus comes and he sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem, it says that he will gather the nations unto himself and he will judge them and he will divide them as sheep nations and goat nations. And everything has to do with how they treated Israel. Those end time judgments are not going to wipe out all the peoples of the earth. When Jesus comes, there's going to be people among the nations of the earth that are still there. They're not going to be in their glorified bodies. Now death, for lack of a better way of saying it, death is going to take a vacation, if you will. Satan's going to be bound and put in hell for a thousand years. So those people, some of them are going to live like a thousand years. You understand that? It's going to be like it was back when Adam live so long. They're going to live a long life and, and their children, some of those children that are born during that time are going to be like eight, nine hundred, a thousand years old. But when Jesus comes, those people that are there, he's going to gather them unto himself. And look at what it says in Matthew 25. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him. And they will separate the peoples from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. The king will say to those on his right, Come in, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the, and the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we do these things? When did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you drink and you were a stranger and we invited you in. You need to close them and clothe you. And the Lord said to them, the king replied, truly I tell you, whatever you've done for one of the least of these my brothers or sisters of mine, you did it unto me. And he's talking about Jewish people. He's talking about Israel. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's in hell. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You didn't invite me. And I was, I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and you didn't visit me. 
And they'll answer him, Lord, when did we do these things? And he'll say this, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do it for me. And they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life or eternal life. It's serious. I would hate to be a place like Iran or some of these anti-Semitic places when the Lord comes. This is serious. He's going to, there, there are sheep and goat nations that are being determined right now in your lifetime. There's some upcoming wars for Israel. There's never been a time in the world that this could have happened till now. Do you understand that? There's never been a time in the entire world history that what was prophesied in the Bible could happen until now. In the early 40s, when prophetic preachers would preach about the coming of Gog and Magog war, Israel was not even a country yet. Russia was starving and struggling. The Arab nations were poor, camel-riding people with no sophisticated weaponry, whatever, you know, whatsoever. Now all that has changed. Now all the players are on the scene. And you can see the tension building. Oil has brought immense wealth to these nations. And Islam has brought a desire for war and violence. Did you get that? All the players now are on the scene. It's never been able to be this way till now. There's four distinct categories of wars that are coming in the future with Israel. The first one, you can read about them in in Isaiah, like chapters 13, 17, and 19. But these is either one war or a series of wars with the Arab countries around them that's trying to press in on them, and you're seeing that right now. There's a scripture in Zechariah. Don't you think about this. There's a scripture in Zechariah that talks about the enemies of Israel standing there and their eyes melting in their sockets, their tongue withering away, and their skin melting off their flesh. What else could that be but a nuclear bomb? People that know Bible prophecy have been asking the question, when is Israel going to nuke Damascus? Because the Bible says... Right here, it says in Isaiah 17, 1-3, this message came to me concerning Damascus. Look, Damascus will disappear. It will become a heap of ruins. The cities of Oar will be deserted. Sheep will graze in the streets and lie down not afraid. There will be no one to chase them away. The fortified cities of Israel will also be destroyed. But anyway, it talks about Damascus just being wiped out. And you wonder sometimes how this is going to play out. Is Damascus going to come in and maybe try to launch a nuke into Israel, but because Israel launched some kind of anti-missile that came in and blew it up over Damascus or, or something like that, or maybe Israel will have to actually nuke them because they're threatening, I don't know. But there's going to come a time when Damascus is going to lay in ruins and disappear. The Bible says that Babylon will fall and be destroyed in Isaiah thirteen nineteen, which is Iraq. Babylon, the jewel of the kingdoms, the pride and glory of the Babylons will be overthrown by God like Sodom and Gomorrah. In Sodom and Gomorrah, she will never be inhabited or lived in through all generations. When it's uninhabited, that makes you think also of nuclear weapons. 
But let me tell you something else. There's also going to be a revival in the Middle East, the Bible prophesies. In Isaiah 11, verse 10, it says, In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples, and the nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. In that day the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria and lower Egypt, and from upper Egypt, from Cush, Elam, Babylonia, from Hamath. But anyway, there's going to be a revival. I want you to notice Assyria and Egypt. Then look at Isaiah 19, 16. In that day the Egyptians will become weaklings. They will shudder with fear at the uplifted hand that the Lord Almighty raises against them. But skip down to verse 23. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and Egypt to to Assyria. The Egyptians and the Assyrians will worship together. And that day Israel will be the third along with Egypt and Assyria a blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them saying, Blessed be the Egypt my people, near Assyria my handiwork, and Israel my inheritance. There's going to be some kind of revival. Some kind of revival that breaks out that affects Egypt, Israel, and Assyria. It's coming. Now this is what I wanted to get to. So those series of wars that's going to result... In Damascus, Babylon being wiped out, there's going to be another war that's distinct. And it's in Psalm 83. And most likely, you're probably going to see this war in your lifetime. I don't know for sure, but I believe you will. This particular war, some people said it's Gog and Magog. It can't be. I don't believe it is because Iran isn't mentioned. And for that matter, neither is Russia. But in Psalm 83... Probably when this war breaks out, Israel will really expand its borders. I want you to look at this. It says, it indicates that there will be re- a regional invasion of, on Israel by ten former Arab nations and tribes. And it predicts that in Psalms 83. It says, do not be silent, O God. Do not hold your peace. Do not be still. For your enemies make a tur- tumult. Those who hate you have lifted up their head. And then it lists in, in verse 6, it'll be the tents of Edom, the Ishmaelites, Moab, Hagrites, Gebel, Ammon, Amalek, Philistia, and the inhabitants of Tyre and Assyria. But it lists these ten nations coming in. This is probably going to happen before too long. You can see it. And then it's going to lead up to the Gog and Magog war. This is an interesting war. I think maybe the Gog and Magog war is the war that will actually cause the... I'm just saying, I'm speculating, but it may be the war that causes the Antichrist to come in and start being able to make a peace treaty with Israel and Israel being open to that. Because the Bible says in Ezekiel 38 and 39 that there's going to be Gog and Magog is Russia. There's going to be an alliance between Russia, Iran, Libya, Ethiopia, Germany in Turkey, and they're going to come down on Israel and try to destroy him. And God's going to destroy 85% of that army. Miraculously. Probably the Gog and Magog war will create such a tension. Israel's going to be looking for a solution. They're going to be desperate, and the Antichrist is going to come in and offer them that solution. A peace treaty. I'm just speculating about that because I don't, you know, nobody knows how this is going to pan out. But it indicates these four different wars. And then the final war is going to be the Battle of Armageddon, which you guys have probably heard of. 
The nations, this is going to be at the end of the tribulation. It says the nations of the world will gather toward and against Israel. The king of the east, which is China, will have a huge army. The battle of Armageddon spoken of in Joel 3.2 and Revelation 16.16 16, will take place as China marches. A huge army and other nations of the world come against Israel. And Jesus splits the eastern sky to defend Israel. This is what's coming. These are the wars that you're going to see in the future dealing with these last days. And a lot of people don't even realize and recognize what's going on. They don't know Bible prophecy and they don't see the hand of God in all this. All of this has been predicted. And probably what's going to happen in the near future is Israel is going to get oil from their own land. And they probably, and I get this from a credible source, they have enough natural gas already to sustain them for years. God is going to bless Israel so much economically that they're going to be self-sustained. Something, I'll talk about this next week, but something's going to have to happen to America to pull it back down from being a defender of Israel because right now, Russia, China, and other places won't mess with Israel. Something's going to have to happen to pull America back so that end time prophecy can be fulfilled. Now I'm going to give you some things as I close. It. This is awesome. From a credible source, they believe that Israel is about to come into great wealth. And see, what you've got to understand is this. When you look at Moses, remember one of the two prophets in Revelation is probably Moses, okay? But when you look at the life of Moses, I want you to follow me. Pharaoh was a picture and type of the Antichrist. Those witches that he had that could turn their staff into a snake. Okay, remember them? They're a picture and type of the false prophet. The judgments that came down on Egypt and crippled their economy is a picture and type of the judgments you read about in Revelation that's going to cripple the Antichrist economy of that end-time Babylonian system. When Israel was coming out of Egypt, follow this line of thinking. Pharaoh was like the Antichrist. Those witches were like the false prophet. That It was like the end time judgments. And the people of God were being removed out of Egypt, being pulled out of the earth. It says that the people of God, that none of them were sick, and they plundered Egypt. See, I don't feel like that the body of Christ is going out weak and defeated. Do you understand what I'm saying? As the body of Christ is going to come out and go through, you know, the bride of Christ is going to be raptured out of the earth, God is going to bless. Let me show you how it's worked. It's been as God has done to Israel, He has also done in the body of Christ. I'm going to show you this. I've heard three preachers in one week talk about this right here. In 1897, Israel began to move back home. And then you see in the body of Christ, great revivals broke out in Wales and America right after that. In 1948, Israel became a nation. And right around that time, God began to move with the latter rain revival of the 40s and 50s. Remember those? In 1967, Jerusalem was restored. And around 1967, the charismatic revival broke out. And just as all these Jews from all over the world, it was an eclectic group because they were from all over the world. Speaking different languages. So it was very diverse. God was pouring out the charismatic revival all over the body of Christ even in places you would have never thought of. Episcopalian church, a Presbyterian church. 1991, the Soviet Union falls and, and Jews begin moving home in great mass. And around that time frame, 
great revivals broke out in Toronto and in Brownsville. So in the future, as Israel gains wealth from within, the body of Christ is most likely going to see a great transference of wealth. Are you hearing me? As God's doing it in Israel, He's going to do it. Now I'm going to tell you something too. In these last days, God put Israel back in, in the days, if you remember back in the days of Pharaoh, while God was sending His judgments on the earth, God had Israel in a land of Egypt that was known as Goshen. And even though the plagues would strike Egypt and it would cripple Egypt, the children of Israel were in this bubble of protection and it wasn't happening there. Let me give you a couple quick stories about this. So there was a, during Katrina, and you guys, all of you can remember how devastating Katrina was. I mean, it's one of the most powerful storms that's ever hit our nation. There was a true story. There was a little old lady had like a trailer house, some small house there in, in Louisiana. And the storm was coming. And people, some of her neighbors were, were fleeing out of there and told her, you need to get out of here. She really didn't have the means, the health and the means to really do a long travel anyway. She wasn't up to it or whatever. But regardless, she, she did not want to leave. And she had this little trailer. This is a true story. Up against the side of the trailer, there was a bicycle that was just leaning up against it. Well, she went outside and she was walking around her property and she was praying over it and applying the blood of Jesus over it and praying for protection. Some of her neighbors thought she was, you know, what are you doing? She told them and they, they thought she was crazy and they left. After Katrina, the bike hadn't even moved off the side of her house. That's impossible without God's intervention. But God had put her in a little Goshen where things around her experienced devastation, and it did around her, but even the bike wasn't moved. I saw in the 700 Club, I saw this with my own eyes, the fires broke out in California a few years ago. And from a helicopter view, you could see all around this house was black. But there was this one house in the middle of black that their grass was green and the house was fine. And they were asking me, well, what in the world? And, and what it was, it was a Christian family. They were in there. And while the fires were coming, they knew the fires were coming in all directions. They were in there praying. And God put a bubble around them and protected them. So my point is, is that in these last days, we're going to probably see in our lifetime, I believe, not only Matthew 24, but it's like the seals are being popped. And things are happening. Even before the rapture, there's going to be such an intensity that some people are going to think that we're in the tribulation now, but we're not. But they're going to wonder if we are just because of the intensity of what's going on. But even though it's intense, God can put you in a bubble of protection for whatever is going on around you. And even though the Egyptian economy was crippled in Moses' day. I mean, that, that economy was crippled. Their cattle died. Their crops died. Their water source became blood. And all the fish died. Their economy went from being the wealthiest nation to absolute poverty overnight because they kept messing with Israel. But even though that was the case, when the Jewish people were coming out, Egypt was saying, 
get out of here, man. And they were giving them all their wealth. Here, take all my gold. Just get out of here. And the Jews plundered Egypt and went out healthy and went out with all the wealth of Egypt. I really believe God's going to allow a transference of wealth to the body of Christ in these last days. And somehow the economies of the world are going to cripple. But somehow what has been laid up, it's been laid up for the righteous. The wealth of the sinner has been laid up for the righteous. Somehow the world's economies are going to cripple. But there's going to be wealth come to the body of Christ. And it's not meant for people to be driving around, you know, in these... You know, five or six fancy Cadillacs living in some big mansion having a yacht. That's not what it's for. It's for funding the end time harvest. And God will entrust people with wealth that he can trust with it. And this is going to lead up to next week. But the key player nations in the end time prophecy are Europe, China, Iran, Libya, Ethiopia, Germany, and Turkey. Those are the key players. You don't see America. So the Bible predicts there's going to be a great revival, great harvest of souls, and also a great falling away in our time. The rapture of the bride is the next thing on God's prophetic calendar. You understand that? The rapture can happen any time. There's nothing else to be fulfilled before the rapture. It could happen any time. And once the rapture happens, then when the Antichrist makes a peace treaty with Israel, at that moment the seven-year tribulation begins. So let me close out with just giving you how it's going to pan out in the end. So after the battle of Armageddon, Jesus is going to split the eastern sky. And he's going to come down. And he's going to be riding a white horse. And there's going to be all these people with him. I plan on being there. And he's going to come down to the valley of Megiddo. China has brought their huge army. Others have come in to attack Israel. And Jesus is going to slaughter them with the words of his mouth. His feet are going to land on the Mount of Olives where he left. Because the angel said he'll come back. And it's going to split in two. He's going to go down to Jerusalem into the temple. And that's probably the next big thing you're going to see in Israel. Is not only them taking Jerusalem but the temple mount and creating a temple for themselves. But Jesus is going to come down to the temple. And he's going to take over. He's going to separate the sheep and goat nations. He's going to reign for a thousand years. Okay. It's Christ's millennial reign. Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years. He's going to be put down into the abyss. He's going to be in chains. He's going to be bound. Okay, The false prophet and the Antichrist are going to be bobbing around in a lake of fire. At the end of the thousand year time frame, Satan is going to be loosed for a short time. Now think about it. Me and you know this. And so we're going to be telling people, listen guys, I know that you may be 900 years old. Okay, and You may think you're smart, but I'm going to tell you, when I was here, there was this guy named the devil, and he's bad news. Now, he's going to come to you, and he's going to try to tempt you. He's going to try to turn you against Jesus. But listen to me when I tell you, he's bad news. Don't listen to him. But the Bible says that even though we're going to be telling them that, even though all they've known is the theocratic rule of Christ for a thousand years, that when Satan's loosed, because God's going to give everybody a choice. He's going to give these people a choice. Okay? They're going to have the same choice you have. Satan's going to come out. That's going to be their choice. Are you going to choose the devil? Or are you going to remain faithful to Jesus? There's going to be a multitude that's going to, that's going to follow the devil. 
And they're going to come marching up against the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus' heart will never skip a beat. He's not going to worry about it. Fire will come down from heaven, mysteriously frying every one of them. This is in your Bible. And then Satan is going to be bound and thrown into the lake of fire. Now, let me tell you this. The great white throne judgment. Yeah, Satan's going to be there forever. Praise God. He deserves every minute of bobbing around that lake of fire. But here comes the white throne judgment at the end. Now see, when you and I die as Christians, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ called the Bama seat. And that is going to be where we're rewarded and all of that and and we're judged for our lives as Christians. But the great white throne judgment is totally different. The great white throne judgment is people that are not saved. They're going to be brought up to the white throne and the books are going to be open and God is going to explain to them why they're going to spend eternity in hell. That they never accepted Christ. They never repented of their sin. They lived in sin. They weren't right when they died. And they're, then they're going to be thrown into hell. And it says in the very end, all of hell, as we know it, all of it is going to be dumped into the lake of fire. And that's going to be it. That's after the white throne judgment. Because right now when people die, they go down to hell. And there's different compartments. There's different degrees. There's different things that go on. But in the end, after the white throne judgment, everybody's, it's going to be explained to them thoroughly why they're not going to be allowed into heaven. And they're going to be thrown into that lake of fire, all of hell will. And, and the word used there is Gehenna. And Gehenna was like a, a trash dump outside of Israel. And that's, that's how God describes the lake of fire. Anyway, and that's going to be, hell's going to become that. Now, that's down in hell, but here on the earth, Jesus is going to be set up from Jerusalem. It says there's not going to have to be a son anymore because he's going to light it up. And from his throne is going to flow a river called the river of life. And on each side of this river, there's going to be trees. And it says their leaves are for the healing of the nations. Now, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Peter saw this somehow that the earth and the heavens as we know it are going to be burned up with fire and it's going to be recreated, be made new somehow. I'm just speculating about this, but probably that's going to be at the end. And the people that have not had glorified bodies will then have glorified bodies. Okay, One of these days you're going to have a glorified body. That means that you'll be able to walk through walls like Jesus did. That'll be fun. And you won't get sick. You won't age. It's a glorified body. But the new heaven and the new earth, and then that will lead to the new Jerusalem. So Jesus will be at work for a thousand years, getting the earth ready for the Father. And at the very end, the very end, the new Jerusalem will come down. Now, I was reading about this this week, the New Jerusalem. It said something about 1,500 miles in diameter. You realize from the southern part of Texas all the way up to like Minnesota, I'm talking about like the Canadian border, is about 1,500 miles. So this New Jerusalem is going to be somewhere in the size of what we know as America. So this isn't going to be a small city. Okay? It's going to be large. But it's going to come down from heaven and it's going to settle And the Bible says that the dwelling of God will be with man forever. Amen? That's the end. 
And God is going to make all things new. It says that every tear will be wiped away. He's going to make all things new. So since the time Adam and Eve fell, God's been at work turning this whole thing back around to the original paradise that He always wanted it to be. But this is why it closes. As it's done to Israel, it will be done to that person or that nation. So you need to make sure in these last days. I gave you some history. I wanted you to see God's hand on Israel through history. That's why I gave you that. I gave you some stories about judgment because I wanted you to not just hear me say that God will judge. I wanted to give you stories to show you God's judgment. So I kind of jumped around some tonight, but I really wanted you to see God's hand on that nation throughout history. I wanted you to see that the presidents that blessed Israel, how God blessed them and blessed the nations. And those that cursed Israel, how God cursed them. I wanted you to see it. And so in these last days, if you want to be in the middle of this last day revival, you want to be fruitful for the kingdom of God, and you really want to walk in God's blessings, then bless Israel. How can you bless Israel? Number one, you can pray for them. Number two, you can literally lift your hands toward the east and speak a blessing over them. Speak a blessing over Benjamin Netanyahu, which, by the way, is my favorite prime minister. You know. But speak a blessing over him. Speak a blessing over their Knesset. Well, my favorite president in history was Abraham Lincoln. You know, my, my favorite prime minister has been Netanyahu. I just like him. I, I like him because he's always been somebody that's strong, a strong leader. You know, and he wouldn't cower to the pressures of others. But anyway, bless Israel, and you can also do things financially. Witness to Jewish people. Send money to people that are ministering to the Jews like Sid Roth and how he's reaching out to the, to the lost. Send money to them so that they can witness to Jewish people. You know, be a blessing to them however the door is open. But there's a lot of different avenues that are opening up in the body of Christ for us to be a blessing to Israel. But if you'll do it, I promise you, when you begin to bless Israel, I promise you God's going to begin to prosper you at that moment. And I felt as I preached this, and I, need, I want to say this, I want everybody to hear me. I don't know if any of us really realize how powerful this is, but when the headship of like a church or an organization, a ministry or whatever, gets up and preaches like this and makes a declaration like I'm about to make, as far as me and my house in this ministry, we love Israel, we stand with Israel, and we bless the nation of Israel. And it will always be that way as long as I have anything to say about it. When I make that declaration, it releases something into the ministry. And what I see is, as I make that declaration, I see literally that some kind of winds of blessing are moving into people's lives and things that you've been praying about, some of you are about to start experiencing answer prayers about things maybe you've been praying about for years. And Lord, I thank you for that, even as I'm speaking this. And here I am as the pastor of the federal headship, but I speak, we stand with Israel, and I thank you, Lord, that you're going to begin to release miracles in people's lives and answer prayers is there's a release of a blessing right now in Jesus' name. I feel that. 